Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Stop Turtle MMA Podcast on cagesidepress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC keeps it rolling this week with UFC Kansas City. We'll be breaking down that fight card as well as giving you an underdog in a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, as always, I'm bringing you the interviews you know and love, and you even get a bonus one this week kicking off the show. We're talking to Bruno Brazil with interpreter Kai Bohayo, so we actually get a two-for-one deal in there. Plus, later on in the show, we're talking to both Dustin Jacoby and Zach Cummins. Now, we're going to get to all of that great content for you in just a moment, but before we do, I have to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by the Picket app. The Picket social betting platform allows you to sync all of your bets from all your sportsbooks in one nice, neat little spot, helping you stay on top of the ways that you're most profitable. Not only that, but it's a great place to connect with other bettors, whether that be showing off your big scores to some of your friends, or hey, maybe you're trying to gain a following in the sports betting community. Pickett's got you covered either way because new veteran and experienced bettors are all joining the community. So what are you waiting for? Download the Pickett app now on the Google Play Store or the App Store and get in on the fun. Pickett brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready. For Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. Alright, joining me today is Bruno Brazil, who fights Denise Gomes at UFC Kansas City. That fight is on. April 15th. So I wanted to start here, Bruna. You have that huge head kick on the Contender Series. Did you get a lot of attention around e- either Brazil or the internet following that big kick? Você teve um grande knockout por chute no Contender Series. Você teve muita repercussão disso depois do Contender. Obrigada. Foi uma grande luta. Fiquei muito feliz com a minha performance no knockout. Foi incrível. So it was a great performance. I was very happy with this knockout. Alguma repercussão com ele? Cara, foi teve muita repercussão. Tanto várias páginas do UFC compartilhou aqui no Brasil também. Então repercutiu bastante. Foi foi muito legal. So it was very cool. There was a lot of repercussions on this knockout. All, all the pages here in Brazil and outside Brazil, the UFC, all they were talking about it. So I'm very excited to to come with this repercussion. And also, Dana White said it was one of the best women's knockouts he's ever seen in his whole life. What was it like to hear that from the boss of the UFC? Então, Dana falou que foi o melhor knockout feminino da história do container. Como foi ouvir isso direto do boss? Cara, foi incrível. Eu não esperava tudo isso, né? Acho que a gente não imagina. Depois que eu assisti, revi, eu falei, caramba, me senti muito abençoada por tudo que aconteceu, por, por, por essa repercussão, por ele ter gostado muito do knockout, né? So it was amazing to hear from the boss that it was the crazy one of the best knockouts of the of the contender series. And we we I, I never imagined that in my life to, to see him talking like this about me. So it was an amazing experience hearing that and I was very happy with it. Absolutely. And now we're on to the next step, which is obviously your debut. I, I wanted to ask you about your choice to document so much of your debut. You know, you've got the vlog series on YouTube leading up to it. 
what was sort of your your decision behind putting so the much of that of yourself out there? Então você vai fazer a sua estreia e você tem bastante está documentando tudo isso, botando no seu YouTube, botando nas suas páginas de redes sociais. De onde veio isso na, na, na sua cabeça? Como foi que você pensou nisso? Bom, eu sempre gostei bastante de dessa parte da mídia, né, de, de poder mostrar meu trabalho, de aparecer. É uma, é uma parte que eu gosto bastante e que me motiva bastante a, é, a repercussão, o conhecimento das pessoas. Então, eu acho muito legal poder compartilhar. E eu, eu, meu objetivo sempre foi é, alcançar o máximo de pessoas possível com o meu trabalho. Então, no canal do YouTube, com a minha rede social. E eu, ve, eu vejo que trabalhar isso é muito importante, tanto para a parte também do business, do UFC, so my my goal with this was I always wanted to reach the, the maximum as people as possible because I know this is important for the business in the UFC. I know that people need to hear about it, need to know what you're doing. So that that was my main goal when I was starting doing this, and I always like to appear to people and, and showcase my skills to them. I love that. I love that. Now, ha have you felt like you've gotten the kind of response you wanted? Do you, do you feel like you're getting, you know, not just the views, but like people telling you about seeing you and what they're liking, what they see? Você acha que ganhou a resposta que você queria das pessoas falando que viram você e não só que se inscreveram no seu canal, mas que estão vendo você, estão falando de você? Eu tive até agora muita repercussão positiva. As pessoas estão gostando bastante do que a gente tem, faz... tem feito, né? E isso me motiva mais também a continuar o trabalho, porque não é fácil, não exige bastante comprometimento e tempo, investimentos também. Então é muito legal. Por enquanto, as pessoas estão gostando bastante. Eu, particularmente, não tive muitas é, mensagens negativas, então, é, graças a Deus, a gente está pelo jeito no caminho certo. E eu achei isso muito legal. Acho que é importante esse trabalho para as pessoas se aproximar também do atleta, né, e não ficar aquela, aquela distância só da luta e uh, I, I feel I feel that I had a lot of positive reactions about this. Uh, people started to see me a lot, and this is good because I wanted to, to be near to people, you know, people to know me better. And I think this is this is this is happening right now, so I'm very happy with it. And, and I, I think that it's clearly working because the UFC seems to value the fact that you are out there in the public because not only are they putting you at making your debut, but you're doing so in front of a live crowd in Kansas City. I was wondering what your thoughts were on, you know, so many of these shows are in small arenas about being in front of a large crowd for your very first fight. Então, e, e parece que o UFC tá gostando disso, né, de, de você aparecer e tudo mais, e tanto que ele te colocou para lutar numa num fight night, mas numa arena com muita gente, geralmente eles fazem esses eventos com uma arena com pouca gente, ali no Apex, e, e quais são os seus pensamentos sobre isso? É, eu estou muito feliz com esse reconhecimento e tem muitas pessoas mandando mensagem, tem pessoas do Brasil que estão indo para lá assistir minha luta e eu vejo que quantas pessoas gostam de mim e é uma parada que a gente não, não, não entende muito, né? Mas cada vez mais as pessoas vêm mandando mensagem, mostrando é, que o reconhecimento, se aproximando mais, eu acho que é muito bom ter esse reconhecimento do UFC, por isso que isso me motivou muito mais a trabalhar mais essa parte da mídia, yeah, I, I get very happy with this. I'm very excited to perform in front of a lot of people. 
I, I, I see a lot of people uh, sending messages to me. There's a lot of people from Brazil that is actually going to the fight to see me fighting. So I'm very excited to fight in front of all the crowd. And I'm very happy that UFC is noting this on me. You know? Absolutely. And, and I know, too, you know, you guys come from a relatively small gym, the Fighting Nerds, but it's on the up and up. I was wondering, you know, you've got him sitting right next to you, Kai. Is, is it a lot easier having somebody... Who, who has been net through exactly what you're about to go through and, and sort of guiding you through it? Ah, vocês estão vindo numa academia relativamente pequena agora, né, que é os Fight Nerds e tal, que está crescendo. E tem o Caio na, na, na academia que já passou por tudo isso e, e o quão é importante é, ter essa pessoa perto de você e te guiando talvez um pouco ali pelo caminho. Então, eu já tive a oportunidade de treinar com uma pessoa do UFC, que foi a Jéssica Andrade, só que eu peguei ela numa parte da carreira que ela estava sendo campeã do UFC, então era muito distante da minha trajetória. Hoje eu convivo com o Caio, que por mais que ele já tenha quatro lutas na minha frente ali no UFC, é, a gente está tá próximo, né? O, a, ele entrou no UFC há dois anos atrás, então eu estou entrando agora, passou pela mesma trajetória do contender, então eu, eu vejo que o que está acontecendo com ele é aos pouquinhos ele vai me puxando junto, eu vou me inspirando muito no que ele vem também trabalhando, fazendo, e vendo que as coisas que vão acontecendo com ele, as coisas, a forma que ele age perante a UFC, a mídia, isso me inspira bastante, ele é uma personalidade é, muito forte como pessoa, então ele se impõe bastante, ele vem ganhando muita notoriedade, e isso me inspira muito. So, I already training with uh, Jessica Andrade before I came to Fighting Nerds, Well, she was champion as as this time, so wasn't relatively near for me. You know, she was very she was she wasn't very close to me. Uh, seeing Kyle doing his stuff and doing the the way he talked with the media, the way he's doing the UFC, the way he he's winning his fights, and and I feel that he can push me through with with him. You know, and I feel very motivated with that, and he inspires me a lot. So I'm very thankful for that. That's excellent. Great to hear. Uh, look at that moment. What a beautiful moment that is. Um, <laughs> l l let me ask you a quick question, too, because I, I want to talk about the fight itself. But but I love hearing nickname stories. I asked Kai about his earlier. Do you mind telling me where you got the nickname, the special one, and, and, and who started calling you that? I would like to tell you where the special one came from and how it appeared. This was my agent, Ivan Jatobá, who came with this nickname. Ele disse que quem se denominava dessa forma era o Mourinho, o treinador de futebol. E por eu ouvir do futebol e gostar muito, ele assinou bastante isso. Ele fala que eu sou uma pessoa muito especial, uma atleta especial. Então, ele assinou bastante o The Special One sure. que me presenteou com esse apelido. So, it came from, a, from my manager, Ivan Jeitova. He, he, he knows that I'm, I came from football and he, he told me that José Mourinho, the football coach, He calls himself the special one, is his nickname. So he thinks I'm really special, a special person, a special athlete. And he presented me this, this nickname and I love it and I'm using it. I love it. I love it. Now, I don't know that too many people know about your, your football background. Are you, how long did you play football before you came to MMA and what sort of made you make the switch? Não sei se muitas pessoas sabem desse seu background no futebol. Então, por quanto tempo você praticou futebol, futebol e, e antes de ir para a MMA e como foi fazer essa mudança? Eu, desde criancinha, comecei no futebol por causa do meu pai, o Brasil é o país do futebol. Então, com 19, aí eu pratiquei até os 19 anos, mais ou menos, foi quando eu comecei a trabalhar, a estudar. 
e decidi que eu precisava fazer alguma atividade física, e eu sempre gostei muito de arte marcial, e foi onde eu falei, cara, eu preciso fazer uma luta, e comecei a treinar, e foi onde eu deslanchei, comecei no kickbox, e fui pro MMA na sequência. So, I've been doing football since I was little. I, I trained football since uh, until I was 90 years old. Then after that, I started to work and work and study a little bit more. And then I, I find myself in a position that I needed to to do some exercise. And I, I always liked martial arts. So I started kickboxing and do a little bit of this training. And after that, I, went, I, I fell in love with this sport. And then I did the switch to MMA, started doing jiu-jitsu. And I love, it very, I love it since the beginning. And here I am right now. <laughs> That's right. And now let's talk about here, you being there right now, because this is a very exciting fight. Because not only do you bring all of the striking skills that you've got, but you've got a fighter in front of you who wants to fight that same style, right? She's a Muay Thai-style fighter, Gomes is. She likes to swing. Were you excited when they gave you that booking with somebody who, who seemingly would want to stand and strike with you? Agora vamos falar da, da luta em si, né? Então, você é uma, uma, uma garota que vai trazer o striking ali, todo mundo viu o seu striking, e você está enfrentando uma garota que também gosta do strike, que vai trazer a luta para você. Você ficou muito animada quando você soube que você ia enfrentar ela. Como que foi isso para você? É, um dos meus treinadores, o Fábio Álvaro, ele falou que seria muito legal se eu pegasse uma strike que normalmente não, não, não vinha acontecendo, que seria muito bom para de repente, conseguir um bônus da noite. A luta em pé, ela é muito atrativa. Então, eu fiquei super animada com essa luta. Vai ser uma luta muito, da minha parte, técnica. Acredito que da parte dela mais aguerrida. Então, eu vou ter um posicionamento ali de acalmar a fera e vai ser so since I got the contract my my coach Flavio Alvaro one of my coaches talked to me and said to me oh it would it would be good if you get a striker too because you can do a fight of the night and get a fight of the night bonus so I think it will be a very good matchup and I think it's gonna be a very good matchup I'm coming with my smart striking and she's coming with her aggressive striking so everything's gonna depend how the fight is go is going but I think I'm gonna be dominant on this fight well I usually like to end these with a prediction what, what's your predi official prediction how do you see this one ending on April 15th como que você acha que essa luta vai terminar em dia 15 de abril sua predição eu sinto que vai ser nocaute e so I feel it's gonna be a second round knockout. It's gonna be in the second round because people people deserve this kind of emotion in the first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I absolutely love it. And once again, fans, this has been Bruno Brazil who fights Denise Gomes at UFC Kansas City. That fight is on April 15th. Bruna, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate thank you. it. Well, we have enjoyed that interview with Bruno Brazil. I once again have Daniel Gubby Freeland joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we obviously got to start here. UFC 287 was an absolute banger. Of course, capped off by Israel Adesanya getting his middleweight crown back from Alex Pajeda. The quadrilogy fight, if you want to count the two in kickboxing, with one finally going his way. But my question for you is, now that we're one in one in MMA... Dana White seems not so committal about doing a trilogy in MMA. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm actually with our man Dana on this one. While I think a trilogy is fine and it, you know, it could totally happen when the second fight ends so decisively where a man is out cold, not just the ref stopping it as he is, you know, sort of 
listlessly defending himself, but actually KO'd. I don't need to see that fight right away. I think Pajeda should rest up after such a knockout anyway. Um, and while Israel Adesanya has cleaned out the entire division, and I actually can't think of anyone more deserving than a Pajeda rematch of a rematch, it, I just don't need to see it right now. It feels more 2024-2025 to me. I think the UFC has something in mind for Izzy. I saw Jan say that he would cut down and wait, former 205 champion that holds a win over Izzy. Obviously, Kamzat is in the mix. Very interesting striker versus grappler matchup there. There's no one else really in like the top eight that I want to see him fight. Uh, so long story short, Gumby, I don't mind the trilogy. Don't need to see it right away. How about you? Yeah, I don't need to see it right away either. And, you know, you mentioned the second fight ending with a brutal knockout. It, it also ended with a brutal knockout of a guy who had never defended his belt. Uh, so while, you know, it's a big for him to have a win over Izzy, like, it, it's not like he has this, like, long-storied career of being the guy uh, and, and, like, deserves a rematch. And not for anything, they've now fought seven rounds in MMA, or at least part of seven rounds in MMA, and, and Izzy's won five of them, right? Like, he's won decisively five of those seven rounds with Pajeda taking, I believe it was the second round of their first fight, and obviously the one he picked up the knockout in. And then just literally losing everything else. And he might not have even been winning that fifth round until he scored the knockout. Whereas, like, Izzy, like, comfortably seemed to be winning everything. So, yeah, I, I think Izzy kind of earned his rematch based on, you know, how close he was, but also how long his, his career was. So I don't need to see the immediate rematch. I'm with you that I think they have something big in store for Izzy. That's why he, he was automatically, like, no-selling the trilogy fight. But I got to ask, you know, like you mentioned the name Jan Blankovic. Does that seem big to you? I mean, I think Kamzat does, but does does Jan seem like a big move coming down? It doesn't, but when I'm faced with the other options of who's actually at 185, I could see how that sells well on a poster and in a video promo package, just being that he is a former champion, et cetera. Yeah, I, I think that that's true, but if if they're looking for something big, I think it's Kamzat. The rest of the people in the division, look, I, I'm not looking for a third Whitaker fight. I'm not looking for a third Vittori fight. Uh, I, I'm not looking for uh, another Paulo Costa fight or, you know, like, it's, I, I don't think Dreykus Duplacis is ready yet. Like, th there, there's a lot of names out there that are kind of close but not interesting. I, I really do think if he was no-selling the trilogy fight, I, I think he's got comms out re ready in the waiting. Yeah, it yeah, I agree with you completely. It feels like Dana's always very purposeful in these post-fight press conferences, even though he plays it very innocent victim, like, well, I'm just a promoter here, and I'm just going off what I just saw, and and this makes the most logical sense. It, he always has something up his sleeve, and I think he's got, you know, that kind of magic card to play. All right, well, you're not too interested in the trilogy fight, but I'll tell you what I know you are interested in. It's our... Fights, Dogs, and Parlay segment, our favorite segment on this show for UFC Kansas City, which is actually a low-key, very nice card coming off of a massive pay-per-view and other big fight cards on the horizon. This one just kind of snuck up on me where I'm like, wow, this is a great card. 
So let's get into it, Gumby. But before we do, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fight Stocks and Parlays? Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlays brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right. So we have a Max Holloway fight. Headlining this card, Max, the minus 185 favorite to Arnold frickin' Allen, a plus 150 dog. This is a very fun fight. Max Holloway has entered a very, I don't want to say weird, but it's a tough part of his career when the cha- he cannot beat the current champion in Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, so he's kind of at gatekeeper status, and it doesn't get more gatekeepery than the surging Arnold Allen. So let's just go into it. Max Holloway is coming off a loss to Alexander Volkanovsky. He beat Calvin Cater and Yair Rodriguez to earn that trilogy fight with Volkanovski after losing the previous two. So he's actually 0-3 against Volkanovski and 2-3 and in his last five fights, the three losses obviously being Volkanovski. But he's not facing Volkanovski here. He's facing Arnold Allen, the English fighter, is 19-1 and as a professional. You'd have to go all the way back to June of 2014 and CWFC 69 for his last loss. He's never lost in the UFC. He's on a gazillion fight win streak, including huge TKOs over Dan Hooker and Calvin Cater, most recently. Has earned himself a performance of the night two times in the UFC and obviously looking to earn a title shot here with a win off Holloway. I cannot imagine he wouldn't get it with a win off the former champion. Who you got? I'm actually I'm actually going to go with Arnold Allen here. Uh, when this fight was first posted, I was like, I don't know. I don't pick uh, against Max Holloway uh, for any reason. But if you look at what Arnold Allen does, that's different than the people who, who Max Holloway flew through, right? Like Max Holloway steamrolled Calvin Cater, right? Steamrolled Calvin Cater in a bad way. The difference between him and Arnold Allen is that Arnold Allen moves between his grappling and his striking pretty well. Uh, he's actually scored a number of takedowns, especially in his late fights. And even when he doesn't, the fact that he's moving between the grappling and the striking actually opens his striking up more. And, and one thing that you can know about uh, Max Holloway is he actually does give up kind of a lot of takedowns. Um, he's given up a couple to Volkanovski. He gave up a couple to Brian Ortega. And I know some people who are out there are like, well, you know, Brian Ortega got a little bit of the grappling going against Max Holloway, too. And how'd that go? But the difference here for me and why I do feel some confidence in Arnold Allen is that Arnold Allen isn't just a grappler, which is kind of how I feel about Brian Ortega. He's got a really good striking game, as some of those you know guys who you just mentioned found out, and he can mix in the grappling. You know, I, I really felt one-sided about the boxing of Calvin Cater and one-sided about the grappling of Brian Ortega, but I think if you blended those two together... There's a chance he gives Max Holloway some trouble. And also, we're talking about a Max Holloway who's kind of in no man's land in this division and doesn't really have much to fight for. I don't think that gives us a worse version of him. But, hey, uh, I'm going to go with the fresh blood here and take the dog money on uh, Arnold Allen. So I really like where your head's at on this. I also, in a fight that I think is going to go down to the absolute wire, and I think in my heart of hearts, I believe that Max Holloway will win via decision three rounds to two more output. He's going to outpoint Arnold Allen and just sort of savvy veteran his way into a win here. 
I like the dog money on Arnold Allen. It's razor close. So that's when I typically will, will go more towards a dog, get the money on it. Um, and I just think that would be the most exciting outcome that, you know, a Holloway win that kind of punts Arnold Allen back down the line doesn't do much for me. A fresh title challenger for Volkanovsky and, you know, inarguable, this is the guy because he just beat the former champion. That's the outcome I want to see. Um, but, you know, head to head, probably say this is Max Holloway's fight by a frog hair, but it's going to be that close. So yeah. I like where your head's at. I, I agree with you entirely about the three to two rounds. Uh, I I think no matter what, if you could bet that this fight will end with 48, 47s across the board, if that was a bet I could make, I would bet that bet. <laughs> That's the bet. All right, let's move then to Billy Quarantillo, uh, minus 165 favorite to Edson Barbosa, plus 140 dog. So kind of at the inverse here, Quarantillo is the younger gun, the younger lion, Barbosa. The massive veteran at this point has so much experience, but he finds himself the dog here. Quarantillo, the favorite. Uh, Quarantillo, interesting UFC career thus far after debuting off Dana White's Contender Series. The New York fighter went 4-0, and including the Contender Series win, then lost to Gavin Tucker, beat Gabriel Benitez via TKO, lost to Shane Burgos, and is coming off a win over Alexander Hernandez. So, long story short, after going 4-0, and he's 2-2 two and two in his last four, and now facing what you could say is his toughest test to date, and that's Barbosa. Barbosa, however, on a two-fight losing streak himself. You can see where the UFC is positioning him. He lost to Giga Chikadze via TKO, massive prospect. Lost to Bryce Mitchell via unanimous decision, another huge prospect that the UFC likes. And now he gets Billy Quarantillo. Obviously, he's in that same gatekeeper-ish position. Not as high a gatekeeper as like a Max Holloway, but a gatekeeper nonetheless. And they're just throwing him to all the young lions that they could build their name off of him. Do you think Edson Barbosa has a big upset left in him this week? Who you got? I do not. Um, and, and I do not because, it, like, historically, look at the types of people who beat Edson Barbosa, right? Bryce Mitchell, incredible grappler. Uh, you know, go back to his time in the lightweight division. Habib, Kevin Lee, just now grappled the hell out of him. Uh, even Dan Ige won that split decision off of him, which, by the way, I'm not even sure he won that split decision, uh, but won that split decision off of Edson Barboza by sneaking in some takedowns and some ground control. You could say the same thing about his near loss to Makwan Amir Khani. Amir Khani just got his grappling going and then, you know, got lit up on the feet, obviously. But, like, people who can grapple do well against Edson Barboza. And, you know, like, the, the people who have been able to beat Billy Quarantillo – are the people who can slow down his grappling, right? Gavin Tucker took the grappling to him. Shane Burgos, you know, stuffed a slew of takedowns and forced them to box with him. And I just don't see that being a path for Edson Barboza. So I really like Billy Quarantillo here. Not going to disagree with you there. Dustin Jacoby is a minus 165 favorite. Azamat Mirzakhanov is a plus 140. I think I got through that name pretty well on the Brandon Schaub scale of saying names. Uh, Dustin Jacoby is coming off of a loss to Khalil Roundtree, but he was on a four-fight win streak before that. Our boy Azamat is coming off of a win over Devin Clark, and he is actually, uh, if you include Contender Series, 3-0 and in the UFC. He's the dog here. Who you got? 
So, first of all, I, I just want to clarify, because we're going to talk to Dustin Jacoby later on in the show. Dustin Jacoby did not lose that fight to Khalil Roundtree. That's an absurd judges scorecard in there. Um, and, and kind of this matchmaking of getting Azamat Mirzakhanov, a guy who is 3-0, shows that the UFC didn't see it as a loss either. Um, and I really like him in this fight against Mirzakhanov, because Mirzakhanov, despite having the scary Russian last name, is a guy who doesn't really have good wrestling. He's a guy who's got a big overhand left that he likes to throw and kind of spam out there. And he mostly just uses it to get in the clinch and like wear on people and work in the clinch. But we found time and time again that Dustin Jacoby gets off the cage really well. He doesn't let people do that. And he also counters when people have really predictable striking, right? He didn't counter Cleo Roundtree perfectly throughout that fight. But Cleo Roundtree is an excellent striker, whereas we're talking about a dude just throwing out a big power hand all the time in Mirzakhanov. I think Dustin Jacoby, uh, the, the former glory kickboxer, is just going to tool all over on Mirzakhanov and make him look silly in a lot of these striking exchanges. And as long as he can stay out of that clinch for too long of a period of time, uh, I think he'll have the energy to get him out of there at some point. Let's get then to our dog of the week. Our official dog of the week is TJ Brown plus 160 over Bill Algio. Yeah, so first of all, I do like Bill Algio, but I think that Bill Algio has a huge issue with grappling. Uh, if, if you go back to his fights um, with like Joe Anderson Britu, he beat Joe Anderson Britu, but literally only because Britu didn't try to grapple him in rounds one and two, turned it on in round three and beat the heck out of Algio. You could say the same thing about Ricardo Hamos, who took him down five times. Bill Algio lost a grappling match to Ricardo Lamas. Uh, and, and let me tell you something. People don't lose grappling matches to Ricardo Lamas very often. But that's what he did in his debut. It was an exciting fight, and he showed he was a tough guy. But the fact of the matter is, is he's going in there with a very solid wrestler in TJ Brown. A, a guy who scores takedowns in all of his fights. He outgrappled Charles Rosa. Like, am I really going to sit here and say a guy who outgrappled Charles Rosa can't outgrapple Bill Algio? No, I'm not. The fact that I can get plus 160 on downtown TJ Brown, give me that all day. All day, all night. Uh, our parlay to play, though, is Bruno Brazil, minus 225, and Lucy Pidilova, a minus 140. Pair those two together, though, and get your plus 148 odds. Break her down. Yeah, so first of all, Bruno Brazil should be a much more massive favorite here against Denise Gomes. Gomes is somebody who likes to work in close range as a former Muay Thai fighter, and she's going to be fighting Bruno Brazil, who is a huge strawweight and insanely powerful, as we saw in the Contender Series. Maybe one of the best women's knockouts of all time, her knockout in the Contender Series. So Gomes striking at distance with her is bad news, and I think if she gets in the clinch, Brazil being so much stronger than her is just going to rip her to the mat with ease. And Jocelyn Edwards coming in here to fight Lucy Pudilova, I'm worried about her a little bit here because Jocelyn Edwards is the type of fighter who sort of relies on bullying people. Lucy Pudilova, since coming back to the UFC and really on her comeback trail to the UFC, showed she is not the type of fighter who can be bullied. I think she got a bad rap in her first run in the UFC, and we're seeing her now, a completely evolved fighter, you know, somebody who is dangerous on the feet, somebody who can control the fight if it does go to the mat. I think Jocelyn Edwards is going to be shooting a lot of takedowns, and I think she's going to be eating a lot of punches. So I think both of these lines should be much wider for these ladies. So give them together, and let's get some plus money. 
I like it. That wraps up this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know on the social medias if we did you right or did you dirty with some of these picks at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter and IG. Gumby, this party is a rolling. Let's not stop it. What should we do next? So we're going to transition now to a pair of interviews I have with light heavyweight fighters who are on this card. And actually, they both happen to train out of the same gym. We're talking to Factory X's own Dustin Jacoby and Zach Cummins, who's going to be making his move up to the light heavyweight division to fight Ed Herman. And we're going to get to that great content for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Dustin Jacoby, who fights Osmot Mirzakhanov at UFC Kansas City. That fight is on April 15th. So, Dustin, before we get to talking about that, I obviously want to talk about your last fight. It was a weird fight with Cleo Roundtree, one that a lot of people thought you had won. You wind up taking the split decision loss. What were sort of your takeaways after, you know, hearing the decision and getting to go back and talk to your camp about the fight afterwards? Well, you know, the the fight with Cleo was a tough fight. Cleo's a very... A uh, tough warrior, man. Uh, kudos to him. Hats off to him. I certainly thought I did enough to win the fight. I think uh, several others thought that as well. And the most important guys uh, sitting ringside judging the fight thought differently. And uh, it was pretty upsetting. You know, one of those judges had Cleo winning round two when um, that was clearly my best round. And uh, I thought I really took the fight to Cleo. And then when I, you know, after the fight concluded and I went and shook his hand and was telling him, giving him props, you know, uh, it was a tale of two tapes. I, I certainly thought that I had won, and you could see that he looked a little defeated. And I think we were both shocked when the, they announced him as the winner. Um, but as I've said, man, you, you have to move on. I can't dwell on that in order to you know, continue moving forward. I can't be hung up in the past, and that fight's done with. Unfortunately, I got paid like I lost that night, but uh, fortunately, the UFC – um, you know, they re-upped me with a new contract, which was super nice, another four-fight deal. And if you look at the official UFC rankings, him and I are both ranked number 13. So on the UFC's end, I don't think that they think that I lost that fight either. So, you know, the, the train rolls on, and we've got a tough matchup next weekend. Yeah, well, and I was going to ask you that, too. It feels like, you know, you've been asking for these step-forwards, right, this whole time through the UFC. We, we've been expecting you to get a ranked opponent you get Azamat Mirzakhanov now. It, does it feel like the UFC thought that was a win? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, like I said, they, they paid me a, a new contract. I got a bump in pay as if I'd won. The rankings show that Khalil and I are both number 13. I think the light heavyweight division is just a little clustered up right now. You know, guys already had fights. Uh, Ryan Spann was already fighting Krylov and, and Volk, guys like Volkan Ozdemir are having visa issues and can only fight out of the States. And then you got, you know, the guys at the very top, Jiri and, and Jean and, and Ankalaev. I mean, those guys uh, are all injured. So I think there's just kind of a, you know, you got to take what they give you. And Azamat's, a, you know, he's an up-and-coming fighter. He's undefeated. He, he's explosive and, and has a lot of power. So uh, I got to prove that, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of the gatekeeper right there. And I got to keep him below me and I got to keep moving forward. Absolutely. Now, I want to talk about the, the stylistic fight against Merzakhanov. But before I do, I, I wanted to ask you about some of your training going on at Factory X, because I noticed on Instagram you had posted a picture of you training with Olympic champion wrestler David Taylor coming out to Factory X, working out with you guys. H how did that come about, and, and how did he wind up specifically at Factory X with you? Yeah, David's been out uh, training with us a couple different times. Obviously, he's a very high-level wrestler, an Olympic champion, and a world champion and 
Uh, he is always welcome at Factory X, but I believe uh, my manager, Jason House, and Iridium Sports Agency has that connection. And, uh, you know, David was just wanting to come out and get some MMA training. Obviously, he's still competing and chasing a, an Olympic title and world title, and uh, he's doing his thing. But, uh, you know, maybe someday he gets into MMA. I don't know, but he, he's uh, been it's been a great addition having him this week. I've got to train with David in the past, and his wrestling is just second to none, and, and uh, he's a great guy as well. Well, that, that's obviously great to hear. Now, i got to ask, because we've seen a couple of high-level wrestlers you know, make that switch over, Bo Nickel flying up the, the rankings here at middleweight. What do you think about if David Taylor did come to MMA? How, how does his game play into uh, the MMA side of things? Well, he's obviously got the uh, number one uh, martial art in wrestling in the back pocket, you know, at the highest level. And I think that anytime you're you're that uh, caliber of wrestler, uh, it can obviously translate well into MMA. Um, obviously a fight is a fight and you're going to have punches thrown at you and, and, and you, it really tests the guy. Um, you know, we, we already know he's hard nose and can grind out wins and he's that type of guy, but what can you do when you get hit in the face? And, you know, that's something he's going to have to answer if he chooses to do so again, nothing's official. He's still, you know, chasing the dream of, uh, more medals in the wrestling uh, arena and, and more power to him, man. But I believe if he does transfer to MMA, um, he's got the number one ingredient to be successful. Yeah, and and that's an ingredient, too. We've talked about you having a little bit of wrestling, too, and obviously, you know, you're always up in your wrestling game and your all-around game and stuff like that. But but I feel like each time I've talked to you, you were like, people keep telling me I'm a striker. People keep telling me I'm a striker, and I've got all this side of the game. Are, are we going to see a little bit more of that this time out against Merzakhanov, or, or, you know, is this a, a striking match you're looking forward to? You know, I think it's going to be more of a striking match. I think uh, if he initiates the takedown, uh, it, that, that'll that be on him. But one thing about uh, Azamat is he's very explosive, very powerful. Uh, he tends to gas a little bit. So I don't see him – and he's not really a traditional wrestler in a sense of shooting doubles, shooting singles from the outside. He likes to throw heavy heat, get you in a body lock clinch up against the cage. And, uh, yeah, if I have to use some of my wrestling to get out of that, I will. You know, going back to the Khalil fight, I think I uh, probably could have used some of my wrestling a little bit more. But, uh, again, you're in there and, and you're going to get the striker. And, and I thought that I was getting the better of him and just winning the striking and, and outpacing him. And, um, you know, apparently I was wrong and, and should have used my wrestling a little bit more. So it's in the back pocket, man. I'm just a, a kickboxer at heart, and I enjoy throwing down in there. Yeah, well, we enjoy watching you throw down in there. Now, you, you kind of mentioned about Mirzakhanov, right? He, he's got the Russian last name. Everybody sort of expects the wrestling, but he's not that typical wrestler. And, in fact, maybe the thing he likes to do the best is is throw huge haymakers, right? Like, he goes, he, he's not like a technical kickboxer, but he likes to go in there and throw giant left hands and, and you know, knees and shit like that. Like, do you expect him to come with to you a more technical striker with that game plan? And if so, you know, like how do you how do you sort of navigate the risk versus reward there? No, I, I expect him to fight me like he fights everybody else. You know, he, he is an absolute dog. He goes in there for, uh, looking for a dog fight, man. He throws that big overhand left, uh, very explosive, very quick, very powerful, especially early on. Uh, so I have to have laser like focus for fifteen minutes if need be and just stay on top of my game, keep him at my range, use my height advantage. He's 5'10", I'm 6'4", use my length, uh, use my kicks to keep him away. And, and again, I, he, he doesn't shoot from the outside. I think he gasses a little bit and he slows down when he has to use that wrestling. And that's one thing that uh, 
I need to make sure that I do is put that pace on him and, and try to take him into deep waters. And uh, once he starts slowing a little bit, take advantage of that. I like it. Now, you know, I usually like to end these things with a f- official prediction. So how do you see this one going down on April 15th? April 15th, I 100% get my hands raised. You know, I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. I just picture myself getting my hands raised. Uh, it's funny, you know, with DraftKings and all these different betting platforms, all of my <laughs> buddies. So they'll put, they'll be like, hey, man, are we going to get a first-round knockout? you going to get a second-round knockout? I, I need a, a second-round TKO. It's like, man, just bet on me to win because I don't know how many times in my six, seven fights that I won in a row that – uh, my buddy's like, man, I didn't win. You didn't get the first or second round knockout. I'm like, dude, if you would have just bet to win, you would have won money. So, uh, again, it's going to be a tough fight, man. There's no doubt about it. But uh, I- I'm in very good shape this fight. And uh, at the end of the night, I 100% see my hands getting raised and celebrating with my family, friends, and fans. Well, there you go. Not only did we get a prediction, we also got uh, some betting advice as well. That, once again, was Dustin Jacoby, <laughs> who fights Osmond Verzaganov at UFC Kansas City. That fight, once again, April 15th. Dustin, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you, Dan. and looking forward to uh, catching up after a big victory. All right, joining me today is Zach Cummins, who fights Ed Shortfuse Herman at UFC Kansas City. That fight is on April 15th. So, Ed, or uh, Zach, I wanted to start by talking about, you know, the fact that you've been out of the cage for quite a while. I know you herniated a disc in your back a couple years back, and you've sort of been away since then. Could you take us a little bit through what that looked like and what the recovery process was like and, you know, sort of how you made it through all that? Yeah, it uh, it was rough. I mean, it's it's something I was kind of babying a little bit, and then, uh, you know, I was getting some like epidural injections and stuff just to kind of keep it at bay and everything, kind of deal with the pain. But it wasn't, you know, overly too bad. And then, man, just one day I was training, it was it was causing a lot of pain and stuff. And then I was honestly, I was just in a really awkward position, and I sneezed. And I think because it was already herniated out, like it blew the disc out where it was like dangling to like the next vertebrae down. It was completely blocking off my spinal cord. Uh, and it just normally like, you know, they barely poke out, touch the, touch the nerves. And like, that's what most herniated disc is like. And uh, yeah, it was, it was very bad. It was one of the worst that the, uh, the neurosurgeon seen uh, that, that did the surgery on everything, you know, later on down the road. But uh yeah, it was rough. I couldn't, I couldn't move. I really could barely get out of bed. I couldn't sleep. It, it was honestly probably the worst pain I've ever dealt with or, or anything. And I, I guess, uh, quality of life basically went to like next to nothing, uh, physically anyways, you know, I mean, obviously home and family stuff was good, but it was, yeah, it was, uh, I didn't know if that was going to be the new normal of just kind of be stuck in bed and, you know, barely getting out. My wife having to help me get dressed and all kinds of stuff. It was, uh, it, it was a rough few months. And then, you know, we were able to get in and finally have surgery. And he basically just kind of clipped out the, the disc that was, uh, that was blocking off the spinal cord completely hanging out. And that immediately, uh, released the pressure and and kind of made me feel you know much better and stuff. It it took a long road to, to be able to get back to like exercise and moving and stuff like that. But uh, we we eventually got there and you know now we're we're able to get back to the thing that we love to do. Well, that's awesome to hear. Now I I want to do ask the question here. You know you said it took you a while to get back to exercising. 
I assume it took even longer to get back to doing, you know, MMA and wrestling and all the, the stuff that goes along with that. H- how long in total were you away from the gym? Uh, I mean, it was one of those, I don't really know because I, you know, I own a gym. So I, I was, <laughs> you know, even whenever I couldn't do anything, I mean, I was like crawling in and like sitting down and coaching and trying to, you know, explain things to other people. And then just, you know, a little bit more and more, you know, then it's like I'd get into a position where I was basically teaching, you know, top position grappling, you know, like, or whatever it was, like whatever I could do. Um, and I just kind of little by little uh, showed more and more and then started, uh, you know, doing a little bit more. And then, uh, yeah, I own it. I, I don't know. It was, yeah, months, months and months and months down before I really even got a, a full ball. And uh, honestly, I mean, like, I was training some with our guys and stuff, but, like, before I actually hard wrestling and hard push and stuff like that, I mean, it was it was not that long ago. Wow. that that That's brutal. Now, yeah. I also want to ask, too, because you, you know, mentioned in there that you are – you do own a gym, but I noticed that, you know, you've chosen to do your training camp or at least part of your training camp out at Factory X. What, what was sort of the calculus that went into the decision to do a little bit of the, the training camp now that we're a little bit closer to the fight out there? Yeah, I mean, it, it, that hasn't changed. You know, I've been, uh, Mark's been my coach, and, and I've done camps out here in Factory X for since, I don't know, like seven years or so. So seven or eight years, it's been a minute. So uh, it's one of the things that where, you know, years ago, um, uh, Krauss met uh, Mark out on the road and, you know, kind of had help pads for him and stuff. And, you know, we were kind of the, two top generals in KC, you know, we just kind of were, you know, we had our own gyms and did everything where we were the coaches and it's hard to, it's hard to just be an athlete when you're like in charge of everybody. So, uh, yeah, you know, James recommended, uh, to, to meet Mark and, and try out his, uh, his coaching style and stuff. And, you know, me and Mark hit it off really well. And, you know, ever since then, like all of, uh, mo- yeah, I mean, most of my fights in the UFC have been, you know, with, uh, with Mark, honestly, I've, uh, I haven't done, you know, I come out and, and train for a few weeks, go home for a few weeks, go out and train for a couple of weeks and, and stuff. It's always kind of been back and forth a little bit. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I train a lot back home, but you know, I'd come out here and stuff. So, uh, that was nothing new. So whenever it was time to do this again, it, it only made sense to come out to my, my extended family and my, my second home and, uh, you know, and train out here with, with these guys as well. So, I mean, I've been back and forth still, but, uh, tried to spend a little bit more time on this one just to kind of uh, make sure I did everything right, you know, with it being everything, you know, being being how long it's been and stuff. And there was a lot of uh, bigger guys that are fighting around the same time, and they were all kind of trying to peak at the same time. So it's just kind of been a fun little, a fun time, a fun camp, and it's just been great doing the thing that I love to do again. Absolutely. Now, you, you mentioned, you know, like having fun in the gym. I, I do got to ask, too, because I've seen it in your, your Instagram here and there, being able to share the gym with your daughter, uh, which, you know, she's now finally at the age where she can probably appreciate what you're doing and, you know, hit some pads herself. What what has that been like for you as, like, you know, the gym dad, too? Oh, man. Like, yeah, she grew up in the gym, you know, and uh, it was one of those where I'm like, okay, one day I'm going to her to train you know like just self-defense wise like I didn't know when that was going to be and then like when she was three you know she wanted to get out there so it was okay let, like she did the warm-ups and then like she she got out so she was kind of in and out of the kids class and then 
uh, yeah, and like whenever she was about four, um, she's yeah, super consistent training. She loves it, and she does gymnastics as well. But I mean, she yeah, she wants to be in the gym as much as she can. And then it, it, that's she, I, I kept saying like, okay, I got to come back. Like, I want to overcome all this stuff for me. And I really was kind of telling myself that, but like, I don't know if the motivation was like really there. I was still kind of coaching and figuring things out. And then, you know, I, uh, I run a promotion as well, uh, Synergy Fighting Championship. And, you know, she loves going to watch those and like, and watching the guys from the, the gym fight and stuff. And then one day she just looks at me and she's like, I think I said someone was fighting soon. She's like, Oh, that's, that's cool. That's cool. But like, when are you going to fight? I want to see that. And I was like, oh, man, all right, all right, that's that's all I needed to hear. So that was, uh, yeah, that was kind of the, the major motivation to, you know, she's finally old enough to see it and understand. She's watched fights on TV and stuff and, and recorded things. And uh, so I, I figured, you know, this, this we're for sure going to make this happen. And then, of course, you know, they announced they're coming to my backyard, and it just all made sense and flowed in together, so. Uh, yeah, she came out to Denver with me for a couple weeks and just had fun. And, you know, she watched me practice and did strength and conditioning. And then we came back and she did all the, the kids' classes. So she was in fight camp too, basically. Uh, she loves it. It's it's awesome. And it's, uh, it's really cool to see her enjoy the same, you know, passion that I have. And, and I had no idea that we would get that. that that's absolutely amazing. That That's amazing. So now you, you mentioned in there, that she's seen past fights, and I'm assuming she's seen some of your past fights on recordings and stuff like that. But but I gotta ask, of all of the recordings, we just passed the 10 year anniversary of you being on the Ultimate Fighter, and maybe she's a little too young to watch the Ultimate Fighter at this point. But like, what are your sort of thoughts on you know being on that show 10 years ago now, and, and kind of what came of all of it? Because you know, obviously, it's a monumental season we've seen tons of guys go on to huge things from there you've obviously had your long career what what's what's it like looking back on it after year 10 yeah it's special you know it was uh i feel like it was a very special season you know it was the uh the first season i'm not i'm not exactly sure if it's the only season but it's the first season where they signed every single person uh that was a cast member you know they were really impressed with us and how uh, professional we were and you know, yeah, they they signed everybody and they got um, everybody to have an opportunity to go up there and, and perform. And, you know, there was a lot of good talent to come of it, you know, and then you still have, uh, I mean, Uriah just recently, you know, left, but, you know, me and Kelvin are still. So I was one of the old vets whenever I was in the show. Kelvin was the 21-year-old pup and me and him are still the one holding strong. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's been special. There's a lot of... Uh, good friendships and a lot of special things and that was the first opportunity I had to uh to really prove to myself that I could do this you know I was I was always like working multiple jobs so like going to school while I was training and that was the first time where I could just train recover train and you know I'm, I'm drilling and working out and sparring with like some of the best guys in the world at the at the time and it, it just proved to myself, like, you know, I, I do belong here and, uh, and I can do this as a living. And, you know, and then it gave me the, the opportunity to get signed with the UFC and, and we still here. You are still here. And you mentioned, you know, you're the, you were the veteran on the show, right? Here we are 10 yeah, years later. I yeah. Here we are 10 <laughs> years later, still the veteran. And I, I got to make this point here. 
You're going to be the younger fighter come April 15th. You are going to be the younger right? fighter by Is 40. that not crazy? It's insane. So, like, when you got yeah. the name Ed Herman given to you, you know, another guy, legend of the sport, been in there, you know, been in there longer than you have, for that matter. What's, yeah. what's it like? He's, he's been in the UFC longer than I, I was a pro. Yeah, that's crazy. I, it, turned, a, I turned pro in 07, and he was in the UFC since 06. That's insane. And, and for you being uh, a veteran, what's yeah, it I mean, like getting a guy like that? Uh, I mean, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. You know, I, uh, I'm, I've always been a fan of Ed, man. I'm like, you know, I've, uh, he's just my type of dude, man. Like we've ran into each other multiple times at, you know, at fight cards and stuff and locker rooms. And, uh, he's a fun guy joking around a lot. He's very similar to me. You know, he's, he's dangerous. He's good everywhere. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, he's not that crazy young 25 year old, you know, insane pressure guy that's going to be gunning to make a name off of me and, and stuff like that and I uh you know it's, it's kind of it's fun you know I feel like we're both in the same spot you know where uh he's on his last fight of his contract I have two left um you know I think he wants to keep going and, and get another contract if he can and uh so yeah I mean you're gonna get guys that know you know, I mean we've seen everything you know and it's uh it was just I like competing against guys I respect and stuff like that so when I got that name, it just it made sense and it was fun. Yeah, and we're we're so looking forward to it. Uh, I usually try to end these things with a prediction. So, do, do you have one for me for for April fifteenth? Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, I've got all expectations to be sitting there, standing in front of Ed, knock, knocking the dog shit out of each other for fifteen minutes. I mean, like he's durable, I'm durable. We like to put on a fight for the fans. Uh, I can imagine that for sure. Uh, now I'm always fighting for a finish. You know, I'm always trying to do damage with, uh, with striking. And then if it opens up a, a submission attempt, which, you know, I have a lot of, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I still, I still see a finish, you know, I, I don't, it's not going to happen fast. He, uh, he's durable. He's good. He's good at recovering and stuff. But if, uh, if I can continue to overwhelm him with some speed and, and accuracy and, and do some work, I can definitely see, you know, maybe a late second round finish. Well, you heard it here first, folks, and I'm sure the people of Kansas City are going to love it. Once again, this has been Zach Cummins, who fights Ed Herman at UFC Kansas City. That fight is on April 15th. Zach, thanks again for the time, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Picket and Maroon Social. And remember that you can check us out on social media at Top Turtle MMA on both Twitter or Instagram. And until next week, I'm Danny Gubby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we will catch you then.